I'm Grace, the Amy Santiago of Royal Bloggers. And I'm Jessica, the Dorothy's Borana of Royal Bloggers. And we'd like to welcome you to On Air, the podcast where two cynical Brits discuss the latest royal news and the truth behind the story. Hello and welcome to this episode of the On Air podcast. We took a short break last week. But we are back and we've got some some meaty and some less meaty topics to discuss. The biggest thing that has happened in the last two weeks has, as always, been from the British royal family because they do like to just keep everything spicy. Um, and it's to do with the boss herself, Miss, Miss Queen Elizabeth, and her uh, the state opening of Parliament, which happened um, not last week, but the week before that. And... Uh, obviously the Queen missed the state opening of Parliament for only the third time in her reign and the last two times she was pregnant back in the days when you didn't see pregnant people. To be fair we don't know she's not this time I mean we can safely assume but we don't know for definite you know. That could be the big news in a couple of weeks. (laughs) Until that point we're here to discuss um, why is it a big deal that she didn't bother going to the state opening of Parliament, what is the state opening of Parliament and what does this obviously mean for the Queen? Obviously, this is such a huge occasion uh, in the annual calendar um, that they announced it through a statement. Um, I'm going to read the statement for you. It's quite short. So the Queen continues to experience episodic mobility problems and in consultation with her doctors has reluctantly decided that she will not attend the state opening of Parliament tomorrow. The statement itself was kind of, even though it's so short, maybe I'm just overanalyzing things, but I still think like it said quite a bit because like the whole episodic mobility problems, it was like, it was basically just trying to be like, she is not dying. She has occasional problems with her mobility. And this was all coming from the doctors and she really didn't want to miss it, but she just had to because you can't ignore the doctors, you know, they're doctors, they train for this. Um, So in a very short statement, although it didn't really tell us a huge amount of, information because it was obviously very short it kind of I do feel like there was a sense of like don't you know they recognized that this was going to be a big thing for her to miss and they wanted to reassure everybody that that didn't mean that she was dying just because she'd missed this really really big thing yes so for people who don't know the state opening of parliament is the biggest sort of I was gonna say most pompous but that's not what I meant it's like the biggest most kind of elaborate traditional uh, moment in the parliamentary year it's the opening of the parliamentary year so our government um, and it happens every year and in normal times when the monarch is not nearly 100 it's a huge big regal robed event and over the years it's got slightly smaller as the queen's got older and you know the crown is heavy and the robes are heavy but it, the, it's very important the imperial crown gets its own car on its way to parliament all three of the sort of branches of our parliament so the house of commons where the mps sit the house of lords where the non-elected peers sit and the monarch are there um and the monarch then reads the monarch speech which at the moment is obviously called the queen's speech which is essentially the government setting out what they're going to do over the next year so it's it's a weird one because technically the queen doesn't really do very much she just turns up and reads the speech she didn't write (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> she did for rights but it's what i googled just to double check i was like what does the british monarch have to do and on every website i could find the three main things were to appoint the prime minister open parliament and um give assent to laws 
and there are a few other things like they go on and list like her daily duties in the Privy Council but these are like the three things these are the reasons we have a monarch are to do these three things um so that's why it's such a it's not like her missing I don't know the Remembrance Day service which is very important and means a lot to lots of people why this one was possibly more of a why she had to release the statement in advance and issue a letters patent and all of that for this one event. Yeah, I would just like to pause momentarily to sort of talk about the state opening of Parliament. I'm not going to talk about it in any great detail because uh, it's, it's, you know, there's a lot of things that go in it. But it's, <laughs> it's like if you ask Monty Python to do a sketch about how British people might open their, you know, session of Parliament for the year, or the government might set out their agenda. This is what they would come up with, but it is actually how our country runs. <laughs> it's so funny. The, so there's, I'm gonna, I just have to mention some of my favorite things that happen. So uh, this is actually something that happens in all sessions of parliament, but it's just a very big deal in the state opening of parliament. There is a big mace, a big gold mace, which is basically just like a stick with a bit on the end. And <laughs> we are not allowed to do anything in our government unless that big stick is there. Um, and so in the state opening of parliament, there's like the guy who's like the head of, of some sort of military thing. He brings in the big stick. Um, and so that means everybody can talk. It's just, it's, it's like being in a, in a nursery where it's like, you can only talk if you've got the talking stick. It's, like, it's so funny. <laughs> um, there's a lady who's called Black Rod. Sometimes Black Rod is a man, doesn't have to be a lady. Um, which, that is the name that they're given for this ceremony, which to me has always sounded like a foreign star's name. Um, but uh, Black Rod sort of like comes in and summons the MPs who are in the House of Commons, they're the elected people, to come to the House of Lords um, and uh, to see the Queen. And uh, Black Rod, it's a tradition that the door is slammed in Black Rod's face. And Blackrod has to strike the door three times to get entrance. And all, most of these traditions stem back to like the Civil War and are trying to show the separation between the government and the monarch. But they're all just the most ridiculous things. There's a bit where they all, they all say hats off strangers, but none of them are wearing hats. Um, somebody <laughs> gets kidnapped at one point. It's just, it's, it's, it's like a stag do, or like a bachelor party <laughs> in the US. But it is how our country runs. And I just, I just find it so so strange it's like I, I would I if I'm at home and it's on like once a year I'm like okay I'm gonna watch it just for the pure amusement of this weird thing and then I turn it off when the actual like queen speech stuff starts because it's really boring but like it's so insane and it's one of these things where people are like you know Britain does pomp and pageantry so well and blah 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 and it's like well maybe we do but also we do it really weirdly like other countries do pageantry but they don't do whatever nonsense we like we get the imperial state crown out of wherever we lock it away for for the rest of the year and drive it on its own special car on a cushion like it doesn't even go with the queen it goes on its own special car yeah. <laughs> <laughs> honestly i think all of, everything we do should either be that sort of scale of it's it's almost camp it should be that kind mm. of level of drama and camp and it's almost like it's something you'd see on RuPaul's Drag Race as something they'd put on and you'd be like, yeah, that sounds about right. Except it's what the actual government of the country does and is like the most important thing they do. Yeah, it is. It's just it's, it's so great. It's so great. Um, it's in, in, in 2022, it's kind of not uh, cool to say that you like traditions or that you like some of the weird ways that our country runs. And there are a lot of issues and we will probably get to some or hint at those later on. But 
I think I just love it. I unashamedly think it's so British and because um, it's nonsense and <laughs> it's we do it because we've done it for hundreds of years and for no other reason whatsoever. And that's why we do everything in this country. Um, so I just, I don't know, it just always tickles me. But um, but yeah, so I think it's it's got that sort of history. It's, you know, a lot of these things that they do that seem strange are things that have been done for hundreds of years and are very important sort of symbolic um ways of showing the the how the country is run and the relationship between the monarchy and or the monarch and the the government and so as grace kind of said it is a big deal that the the, the star of the show other than the crown of course um the literal, <laughs> um it uh it wasn't there and um you know we don't we didn't really know how that would work in a practical level even. Uh, what she ended up doing was she issued a letters patent, which is kind of like a public statement, um, but it just has a bit more weight to it. And there's like a process behind it. And it's just, it comes directly from the queen and it's kind of like her de declaring, this is what I want to happen. Um, and in that letters patent, she specifically delegated the role of reading the speech to Prince Charles um, and, um, that's and said Prince William would be going as well and that kind of um was because they are councillors of state which is something that we have talked about a lot on um <laughs> this podcast in various different episodes so I would just just read just listen to everything maybe the Andrew episode I think that's quite a good one for listening to, for understanding yeah. the councillor of state um thing but basically they're just a group of people who because of their position in in line to the throne are able to uh, step in for the monarch temporarily um, and so they were kind of chosen in their role as councillor of state, Charles to read the speech and William to just attend as a sort of support, I suppose. It is slightly concerning uh, because who else are councillors of state? Prince Andrew and Prince Harry. And so theoretically, she could have been like, I want Prince Andrew to read my speech. That would have been completely within <laughs> her powers to do. And so if this is the mechanism she's using, of like a letters patent with the councillors of state, that is just slightly concerning and just reminds me that that still needs to be sorted out. Yes. I mean, way back the last two times when she was pregnant with Andrew and Edward, the Lord Chancellor read the uh, speeches and he's kind of like the boss of the House of Commons. Um, or she, you know, but it was a he. Charles and William would had had to essentially be there because they were there to be the queen and they needed both of them because that's how councils of state work but the letters pattern was like this is charles is going to read the speech and i think like you've been saying a lot like we're kind of doing in this transition to charles i feel like that was a he's pretty much king anyway <laughs> let him read the speech um, but he didn't get to sit in the throne which was quite sad or wear the crown he just dared it really sadly like my crown it was this transitionary thing because on the one hand you had um, Prince Charles sitting, you know, the main person going in representing the Queen, reading this speech, which is the government setting out what they want to do for the next year. So it's very significant and very important for our country. A lot of people don't really tune in and listen to the Queen's speech, but everybody will be affected by it in some way or another. Um, so on the one hand, this was a very significant, like he's essentially being the monarch. But on the other hand, with both with the statement that they had um, in terms of, you know, emphasizing the, the it's only temporary or episodic mobility issues, uh, but also then having uh, Charles sit on the consort's throne rather than on the main throne. So he sat where Philip would have normally sat. Um, and then, you know, throughout the speech, say instead of saying my government, as the Queen says, um, he said Her Majesty's government, because it's obviously not her government, uh, not his government. 
Um, so I think that they were kind of on the one hand, it was like Charles is already doing this. He might as well still do it. He's very kingly and whatever. But on the other hand, it was very much kind of, oh, well, she's still queen. Like no matter what, he's stepping in for her, but she is still the top dog. And we, it's still her government and we're not doing anything to change that or referring to that differently. And I did laugh as well at the, at the photographs. It was like, you knew going into this Charles. There was going to be a crown next to you. Your entire life, people have, you know, well, not your entire life, because The Lion King was only released in the 90s or whatever, but the, everybody has made since, since then Lion King references of like um, him being Scar in the background, trying to, you know, <laughs> throw uh, um, Mufasa off the cliff. Like everybody's made these, I just can't wait to be king jokes. And so I was like, why would you? go to an event where you know there's going to be video cameras and photograph uh, photographers and loads of people staring at you and just look a little bit too longingly at that at that crown like you know that's just going to be turned into a meme or uh, a photo opportunity it was like if it had been me I would have looked straight forward never looked at that crown once yeah I would have I wouldn't have acknowledged the crown at all I might have like smiled at Camilla or something yeah. in the middle <laughs> you know it was and it was such longing as well and I was like uh Charles you have a job to do stop drooling <laughs> I like how the Queen's speech gets uploaded onto the royal website and the parliamentary website afterwards and it always says underneath like this is word for word what is said so it's always like my government and it was obviously it still said that even though it wasn't word for word what it said so I did like afterwards how like three newspapers were like uh the government has lied to us <laughs> not word for word what they said and I was like well yes they've just changed a couple of words I know of all of all the things the government have lied to us about over the years that seems very very petty to talk about (laughs) I think in a weird way the queen not being there worked out quite well for the government because normally after the queen's speech what you get is a lot of stories obviously about what, what was in the queen's speech and that can be positive and negative and I think at the, this precise time, considering some of the things that came out of the Queen's speech, they would have been predominantly very negative stories. However, all of the stories were about the Queen not being there and Charles doing it instead. So obviously there was coverage of what happened within the Queen's. That's how we know what was in it. But I think in any other year, the Queen would have read it. There would have been, you know, oh, she's worn yellow. That means she supports the Lib Dems or something. And then everyone would have focused on what was in it. And I think this time they haven't and I think this time they've gone like but the queen wasn't there and Charles was there and Charles looked at the crown and and the crown was there and that's a thing and it's like yes but also the speech happened. That's a good point I think Boris is um has had a lot of these examples where something else has happened that has distracted attention from him just at the right moment so he yeah he probably was you know having a little bit of a celebration at home that he knew because he, he would have known that all of the headlines were going to be about Charles and not about him. Yeah, during his audience with the Queen, he was probably like, you know what, if you just want to skip this one, yeah. it's fine. No one will even notice. No, it's fine. It's fine. Take, the year, take it off. Take this year off. The big talking point, really, to come out of this, you know, we've kind of talked a little bit about why it's an important event in the calendar. I think the question that it has become quite heated, um, shall we say, that has been brought up really is, if she can't go to something as important as the state opening of parliament, should she quit? Yes, I think, you know, as soon as I saw the news, the first thing I was said was like, well, if she can't do, if the queen can't do one of the only things she has to do to be queen, 
then maybe she shouldn't be the queen. And that did not go down well with people. Um, <laughs> and I had lots of uh, intriguing responses. And, you know, people had lots of different ideas that they were sort of putting forward. And some people were saying that it's unfair to say that someone who's worked for 96 years should be fired because they're old. And some people were saying like, um, she can still do other things and it's just one time. And if she had a cold and had to miss it, would you be saying the same thing? And lots of ideas were put forward. But my argument, and I'm not saying we should force the queen into some kind of immediate, we shouldn't have like fired her. I'm not saying that necessarily. What I am saying is there is a pattern emerging due to her age that the queen is unable to do lots of different, attend lots of different events. And like I've always said, I genuinely don't massively care if the queen doesn't ever sort of leave her house. She could do all her engagements from home. You know, she doesn't have to go to church services or any of this. She still meets with the prime minister. She still meets with sort of her sort of representatives in other countries, she just does it online. And I'm fine with that. But there are a few things that only the monarch can do, like appointing a new prime minister, um, like host, sort of hosting the Privy Council and uh, opening parliament. And this is a sort of a one one time thing once a year and everyone knew it was coming up. And it might be that she was intending to go for a really long time. And then the doctor said, no, you can't. You are not going to You're at the moment. You are not going to make that walk. So it's fine. But if she can't make it this year, she probably won't be able to make it next year or the year after that. And at some point, if someone can't do their job, especially a job that I'm paying them to do, they need to get another job and someone else should step in. Yeah, I think I'm, I have mixed feelings about it because that was definitely my first reaction to it as well, was like, well, if she can't do this really important thing, then I'm not, and also we're not saying abdication, that we don't, the Queen won't abdicate, but appointing a regents, a regent or having a regency is what we're talking about really here when we say quitting. Um, I think um, I then started thinking about it a little bit more and I was like, I mean, they're not going, I don't think they're going to appoint a regent at any time soon. So in the law, the queen cannot choose to have a regency herself. She can't declare that she had, because by, you know, theoretically that would mean that she has capacity to do her job. And so therefore she wouldn't need a regent. Um, so the way that it kind of works is that it has to be, there's four key political positions. It used to also include this, the concert, but um, Philip's died obviously, so he can't do that. Um, and three of those four people have to agree that the queen needs a regent. So that includes like the Lord Chancellor, uh, the Speaker of the House of Commons and other very important people in society. Um, they also has to be supported by the evidence of doctors. Um, so it's quite a lengthy process and quite a serious process to appoint a regent. And the, our country is a very odd one, as we've already mentioned. Um, but um, we do not have, unlike like the US or lots of other countries, we don't have a single written constitution or like a one or two documents that we can refer to as a constitution. We have hundreds of documents from across, you know, six, 700 years that make up the running of our country. And uh, as a result of that, we do have quite a lot of flexibility and interpretation of things. So um, I don't know that there is actually one law somewhere that says the government cannot function unless the monarch is there to open parliament. Um, and like, 
you know, it obviously is functioning and Char- and she wasn't there. Charles was there instead. So I don't, I think that's the tricky part is that we don't have this constitution. So we can't point to it and say, well, we have to get rid of her because she cannot do something that she legally is required to do um, because we can't actually point to anything that says that she, she is. And like, if she chooses to delegate to a councillor of state, they, they, they have the power to sign laws. Um, they can't like appoint a prime minister and there are certain things that they can't change but if the queen was away for two weeks or she was ill for two weeks or something and appointed charles he would be able to sign our laws for us and the country would be able to continue to run um so i think that you know there's actually very little that the monarch is the only person who absolutely can do it most things can be passed along and i think that so they're going for this kind of in-between thing where like charles is effectively the queen's regent but he just they're not doing the legal part of it and actually appointing him as her regent because that would be saying that the queen will never recover or will never be able to attend any of these things um we don't think or or we we you know it's it's likely that this will continue for the rest of her life kind of thing so i personally don't think that there will be a regency unless there's something like dementia which impacts mental capacity more than physical capacity um but I'm in two minds about it myself because, yeah, on the one hand, I think I agree with people that um, if you can't do some of the only things that you're actually, requ- you know, that we actually expect you to do, should you still be doing that role, you know, take some time off and do what you want to do, Lizzie. Um, but on the other hand, it is a big thing to do. And technically, I don't know if there's any legal requirement for most of these things to be carried out by the monarch. Um so I'm kind of yeah I mean I'm playing devil's advocate slightly but I'm in two minds <laughs> two minds about it I suppose. Yes, yeah, it's, it's one of those weird things because it's like you said we all I think everyone knows the queen would never abdicate, and also not only I don't th- I think would a regency be hard I think as soon as you do something like that, and I'm not necessarily saying the monarchy in Britain is in a precarious position because I think there's far more support for monarchy than people actually admit to um but i think something like a regency where you end up with the queen and also charles acting as the king puts a lot of fuel on the republicanism fire <coughs> so i think that's something that they would avoid for as lot unless they had to make that change um and you know i think things like you we all know if there was a snap general election the Prime Minister would just go to Windsor to see the Queen there. So there's all these things that are being worked around for the Queen. And I'm fine with that. I'm fine with them do it, making those changes because there's no reason why, you know, the Queen has to be in Buckingham Palace to do it. I mean, I can see why it makes sense being a great big thing in London, but she could be up in, you know, she could be having a day trip in Liverpool and do it. It doesn't, there's no rule saying it has to happen in Buckingham Palace. So I think, and I can definitely see there's a lot of, sort of twisting and turning and trying to keep the queen doing the queenly things for as long as possible I just think and you know I think that this was probably the one thing that she had to go to and didn't and I think now that she's not gone to one I'm not saying that she'll never ever go to one again but I think they'll go like well last year she didn't go and it was fine so Charles could just do it every year until Charles is the king yeah no no I think I think that I think that's understandable I think I think it will just it is just difficult and I honestly don't know I think 
at this point in time, I think it's unlikely that three out of the four people who would need to sign off a regency would do so. And I also don't know if her doctors would say it's needed because her doctors seem to be advising her to attend some events and not others, depending on how she feels. So I don't know if the doctor would be able to say, yes, she she's not going to be able to do these things that she needs to do. And that's going to be pretty much permanent or for an open ended period of time. Um, and so I think, you know, we can see that in the fact that she didn't go to this opening of Parliament, but then she went to a ton of other things <laughs> <laughs> and was so fine, like completely fine. Um, so she, you know, she went to um, open up the tube line that was named after her. And, you know, they did what they normally do at things, which is they get the Queen to do something that thousands of people do every single day with absolutely no fanfare. And then they're like, wow, look at the Queen, like topping up her travel card. It's like, I do that all the time. Why is that not, why do I not get photographed and celebrated for doing it? Yeah, obviously. I mean, I thought that the, the tube opening was a little bit, you know, that was the one that made me go like, wait, wait a second. Because the big thing about the state of Parliament was she couldn't get to London. And then like a week later, she was in London opening the tube. And I was like, hang on, this has just ruined everything. There's always a tendency for me to sort of not trust the medical information that comes from the palace because they've had a record. Like when Philip, we talked about this again uh, in a previous episode, but like when Philip was dying and everybody knew he was dying, the palace were like, oh, he's just at home. It's all fine. And they I'm not going to say they lied as such, but they definitely bent the truth or hid some things. And, you know, they also, the, the press are all convinced that Prince William had COVID, but they never told us that. Um, and they never confirmed it or denied it when the press asked about it. So there's like little things that I just, I'm never 100% sure if they're telling us the truth with their, their health stuff. Um, so whenever I see something a bit like, oh, the Queen can't go because she's got episodic um, mil- uh, mobility problems. My feeling is always like, but does she really? Or is she like you know, permanently in a wheelchair now and, you know, they're going to have to adapt everything. Um, but then she goes to things like this and it's like, oh no, she actually, she was moving, she had a stick in things, but she was moving around pretty well um, for somebody who's almost a hundred years old. Like it was, yeah, we haven't seen her like out and about in such like quick succession yeah. since before her episodic, mo- there was that period of time, like last September or October, where she did like a solid like two weeks of engagements and she had the stick and then she had to cancel the Ireland trip and then didn't leave the house again for about three months. And I was like, wow, she's doing so much out and about, what's gonna happen? Um, but yeah, I think, you know, the horse show, she was, ha- I mean, she went on the Friday during the day to watch Lady Louise. And then she went back for the the televised one on um, the Sunday evening, the gallop through history. and she I mean first of all I have to say she was wearing this like sparkly shawl and the first thing I thought was I was like oh my god my grandma would love that <laughs> I was like friends oh, where did she get it from she I mean she got out of the car she turned up and I was staring and I was like that's definitely either Edward or William with her and I can't tell because they look identical to me yeah they do now um it was Edward I figured that out when I saw his face like several hours later but I was so unconvinced I was like I can't say I just don't know who it is um, and then she took 20 minutes to get up to the seat and then she sat there with her shawl in this really comfy looking seat and was grinning away at these little horses and pointing out to them and waving and smiling. And 100%. And so I don't think I've ever watched the horse show before. I mean, maybe I have, but or I've, I've definitely seen clips from it, but I don't think I've ever sat down and watched the entire thing. And it's really funny because in my notes, I wrote down like, I resent that I have to watch this. 
it's been a thing in this podcast where um I have had to watch actually like pay attention to things and like watch stuff that I would never normally watch so that I can talk about it in this podcast and so when I started watching I was like this is gonna be terrible and by the end of it I was like texting Grace because I was just like this is the best thing I've ever seen in my whole life (laughs) it was so amazing okay like okay right there was two I mean I have one point that is critical about it before I start in about how amazing it is but um I was slightly uncomfortable at the beginning with how propaganda-y it was. Um, yes. Like there was a bit um, right at the beginning where they started off with Queen Elizabeth I and then like took it through some really random points in history, not even just British history. There was a random bit about France. Um, and then... <laughs> yeah, they, that was weird. That was so weird. And then they um, they led it down to Queen Elizabeth II. It was like, you know, ooh, two Elizabeths, aren't they so similar? Um, but they were they talked about Queen Elizabeth I's legacy of exploration. That's one word for it. Um, and then <laughs> exploration. Um, and then they specifically highlighted a couple of explorers, including Drake and John Hawkins. And I can't remember whether this made the final edit or not, but in episode 16, I know that I, when we were recording it, I mentioned John Hawkins because he was the guy who essentially started the slave trade in the UK. I was like, that is a weird thing to mention him as like a really positive example of somebody from Queen Elizabeth I's reign like that's with no question about it and I thought like okay well maybe this is just not the place for that like go with it but then they had a whole bit talking about the horrible persecution of Catholics I was like so they can talk about that which is a negative thing that makes the you know the monarchy not look great um but they can't talk about but they can they can actively praise the guy who started the slave trade in the UK it was just really weird so at first I was like, I'm not going to like this. I'm going to, I'm really not, not going to enjoy this. But then Azerbaijan arrived <laughs> and they set everything on fire and they did acrobatics and they stood up on their horses and they, one woman did the splits between two horses. And then we had Trinidad and Tobago come in and they did some limboing under fire. And then they played Abba on the steel drums. And I was like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Everything, everybody should just Every entertainment event is made better by setting something on fire. That's my conclusion. It really is. And so I was like, as soon as, by the, by the end of it, I was like, you know what? I don't really care if it's unconstitutional. If I completely understand why the Queen picked to go and watch horses and fire over sitting in a room with Boris Johnson for an hour. Oh, 100%. I, I was watching it on the Sunday night, mainly just to see if Kate would turn up. She didn't let me down. Um, but I watched the first bit and there were some horses and then the horses sort of toddled off and then there was people marching and I was like okay I suppose it's gonna be a bit like when I end up watching the Remembrance Sunday service and I sit through it and I'm like I feel like I should but it's really boring and no one's willing to admit it but it is but then first of all there was like the Oman army horse army the cavalry turned up and there was so there was like two plane loads of horses and there were so many and then Azerbaijan I just I was like, someone's breathing fire. Why do we not have a fire breather in the army? I was like, Who'd you, how'd you get that role? And then I was having my best time. And then, you know, they got some dancers in towards the end. That was a bit weird. But I was like, you know what? I'm living it now. And it also had the like weirdest selection of British celebrities plus Tom Cruise. And then I was kind of obsessed with the fact Tom Cruise was essentially on a bit of a promo tour for Top Gun during the Windsor Horse show. Like there was a whole bit beforehand where they were being interviewed by Philip Schofield and someone who I've forgotten. And he just talked about Top Gun. And I was like, um... Yeah, this is not about you, Tom. No idea why he was there. Uh, he didn't really seem to know why he was there. 
he didn't know any of the words to God Save the Queen and looked really confused when it went on to him at the end, which was very funny to me. Yeah, uh, so it was a very, it was an odd event in terms of how it was all organised and the sort of the people we put into it. Although Ahmed Jalili was really good. The last time I watched it was, I'm sure it was her 90th, and I don't know which side aired it, but I watched it then. And that was the time when, obviously there were loads of horses, and there's that gift that goes around of the Queen being like, oh, cows! cows. <laughs> and that's what that was from. And that was my, I literally watched that one clip for like daily because it was so adorable. I loved yeah, it. Yeah, it's how I react when I see a cow as well, so... Yeah, <laughs> it's just, I was just waiting for cows. Cows never turned up. No, it was it quite disappointing, quite frankly. But apart from that, it was great. Yeah, there were a couple of these little moments where, I mean, you know, obviously we're talking about like the Queen not going to things and going to some things. And I am not suggesting in any way that she is faking or that she is, you know, she is a very dutiful person. And I'm sure she would have gone to the opening of Parliament if she abs- if she could. But she is, she seemed very much in kind of like her uh, doesn't give a you know, era um, of just like not caring about things. Uh, and like some of the reactions she had to little moments, like there was a very funny moment with Alan Titchmarsh said about how she had been for the last 70 years, she had been the heartbeat of the nation. And he said it in a, such a sincere, like overly sincere way. It was a bit like cloying and kind of uh, sycophantic kind of way he said it. And it went on to the queen and she just sat there with, for a few seconds, she was just sat there with this like blank expression. And then she just kind of shrugged like, yeah, okay, sure. <laughs> I was the heartbeat of the nation. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> and it was just, it, yeah, there were a lot of little moments like that where she was pointing and laughing and her horses came on at the end. So, um, but yeah, so I think that's kind of the situation we're in right now where is the queen going to go? Who knows? We really don't know what's going on at the moment. Um, but if, if they set stuff on fire, I'd be okay. I would have been fine with Charles going to the opening of Parliament if there was more fire. Yeah. I, I think, you know, if you want to know what events the Queen's going to go to for a jubilee, just look where the fire is. Yeah. <laughs> There's been a lot going on over the last sort of couple of weeks, but uh, a lot of it is, I feel quite samey. Like it's an update on a situation we've already kind of talked about. It doesn't really change things dramatically. And also both of us are very tired. It's getting towards the holiday season. Um, and we're very, both very ready for breaks. So we decided that we would keep it light and talk about some fashion. Um, so we're going to kick off um, with the Finnish state visit. So Finland visited Sweden. Um, you know, that it was quite a significant visit because they're both expected to join or try to join NATO, um, which could make Russia very angry. There were, most of it was the king and queen hosting it um, as it was a state visit. There were other appearances from the royal family, but the one we're going to focus on the most, obviously, is <laughs> um, the state banquet where we had tiaras and sashes and gowns and all that fun stuff. Uh, so should we start at the top and Queen Sylvia? Yeah. She was, I mean, not that I had a, necessarily had a best dress, but she did win it. Um, and she wore um, Crown Princess Margaret's ruby tiara, which I don't actually think I've ever seen before. I probably have, but I was like, I don't know this one. Yes. So this is not a tiara that um, Queen Sylvia wears an awful lot. There's a sort of historical thing within the family where it was inherited by somebody and there was kind of a dispute within the family about who had ownership of it. And so um, Queen Sylvia waited until the person who had disputed the claim within the family died and so she only really started wearing it in sort of the 2000s 
And even so, she doesn't wear it a great deal. The Swedish royal family have a great system of sharing tiaras. They do tend to stick to the same sort of two or three that they, they wear on a regular basis. So it's always nice when she's like, gotcha, you thought you knew what I was going to wear, and I didn't. <laughs> I tricked you. Yeah. <laughs> Queen Sylvia, I think, is one of those ones who is chronically underrated in terms of her style. And I think it's largely down to the fact that people uh, exclude older women um, from the fashion conversation in general. I think, uh, yeah, I, I just think she's very underrated. She always looks very chic. Uh, she was get wearing, it was kind of like a capelet with a cape thing coming off it, which, you know, I'm always going to rate a cape slightly higher than I would an average gown without a cape because capes are fantastic. <laughs> but I, you know, she's just always, even to, you know, even to this day, she is always incredibly chic. And I usually like what she wears. She's pretty solid. And I think this is a very solid, like Sylvia kind of gown. And the pairings with the jewels, she's always very good at pairing jewels with certain uh, pieces that she wears. And yeah, so, I mean, I have no criticisms, really, of Sylvia. No, it was a great look. It was definitely my favourite one. I think it was, it's a gown that, it's one of these gowns that could suit anyone. Yeah. But everything she did with it looked fine. Like, she just, everything was good and there was no nothing bad about it. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. So then on, also we're not talking about the men because they just wear suits and it's boring. Um, <laughs> sorry to them, but if you want to be featured in our podcast, you have to do something more exciting. So then we move on to Crown Princess Victoria. Uh, she wore a dress that she's worn previously by Jennifer Blom, um, a sort of pale blue dress, but she had a new addition to the dress where she'd had some little sleeves added. I, it's not, it's not my favorite <laughs> gown that she's ever worn. But I think the colour is really beautiful on her. That kind of pale blue colour is just always works beautifully on her. Uh, I think the sleeves, the way they were added was nice because they were sort of floaty and the dress has a very high stiff neckline. And I think a stiff sleeve added would have been too much. So it was nice that it was kind of a bit floaty. I had some people on my Instagram suggest maybe the material was taken from the skirt because the skirt looked less full to them. I don't know if that's true. It could have just been excess fabric, but, you know... it was quite, I like when, I do appreciate, even though it was, I mean, it was kind of a mid-level gown for me. Like, it's not terrible. It's not my favourite, you know. But I do appreciate the fact that, you know, when a royal or anybody tries to make a little change to something that gives it new life and kind of makes it fresh and interesting. Yeah, it was a stunning colour on her. I think she wore the colour quite a few times during the state visit because I assume it's Finland's and Sweden's, like, best color <laughs> she worked quite a few times and it really does suit her um I I mean like you said it I didn't like this gown the last time she wore it because the middle looked so fussy and then her sleeves were so bare because it was completely sleeveless but now she's put the sleeves on just the entire top looks too heavy so I'm just starting to think I just don't like this dress because she changed the one thing I didn't like about it and I was like that didn't help but like the skirt is great <laughs> and she wore it with the cut steel tiara which I think we both love yes I just love a tiara made out of steel who doesn't and it's such a like you said it's such a floaty dress and then such a like not floaty tiara I think that was such a good pairing because she could have worn one of those like really curly ones but no she went nope I'm going steel the steel element of it I just I don't know I think it's really different and interesting and I love seeing it on Victoria uh, and I think it also worked really well so 
one thing that I think is always difficult about royal dressing is that they usually wear sort of a sash or an order or something and that can often be in a very bold color or a very specific color and so it's difficult to match the sash or the the things you have to wear with your tiara and with your dress but I think she did it really well this time because she was wearing the collar uh, she got a, the highest finish order that's available the order of the white rose and she got the a collar so she that's like so highest level um so she was wearing that rather than a sash and that collar has kind of been a goldy kind of color which works really well with that very pale blue which works really well with the, the steel of the tiara looks kind of gold especially from a distance um so it all kind of just worked together really well as a whole look like do I like this gown that much on its own it's a middle for me it's not up or down but I did think that it was successful as like a whole combination yeah the whole look was really good and obviously Victoria is one of those people who looks like she was very much born to wear ball gowns so (laughs) when she wears she goes proper ball gown looks pretty good and then the last person uh is Princess Sophia who brought back the dreaded red dress that she wears that she's worn before I've always said and people won't be surprised if they follow me or have followed me for a while the gown reminds me of the inflatable tube men that you see outside of used car dealerships who were all floating around like our prices are amazing you know I that's what it reminds me of because the sleeves are really really long and it's block red and it's basically a tube of a dress um I just do not like it at all yeah like Victoria can wear a big gown but Sophia really suits like sleek mm-hmm. not that she can't wear big gowns. she's worn big gowns before but there's really sort of sleek gowns and this dress is everything that should work and it doesn't like I, th- I think the shade of red is wrong the sleeves are awful the sleeves remind me of like a bad version of Princess Anne's wedding dress and they were bad sleeves but these are somehow worse and I think because it's so plain like there's no kind of embellishment or lace or anything the sleeves are all there is but they're the worst part so you're just like oh no it's it's bad it's not even got an interesting neckline it's like a boat neck or something but a bad one the only thing I will say in its favor is I liked it better this time than the last time last time she wore it it was for the Nobel Prize and she wore it with the Swedish order which is the order of the seraphim and it's very pale blue and the dress is a very bold red and so I think wearing red and blue together you know they're kind of clashing colors they don't it's meshed together very easily um so if you're going to do that kind of contrasting color thing I think it has to be in similar tones so if you're going to wear like a pastel pink you have to wear it with like a pastel green rather than a bold green color and so I think with the dress it's a bold red and the sash that she had was from Finland which is a bold blue so that worked better than I think it did last time but that is me just trying to be nice and say something positive about it because I really didn't like it very much and I didn't I'm I her wedding tiara it's got so much potential we talked about it I think in our tiara special episode how the stones can be changed and things but she only seems to wear it in a small number of settings like this would have been the opportunity to kind of put on some sapphires or rubies or yeah to do something different with it but she just didn't take that and so it felt mishmashed she went through a stage and I know I mentioned this before in the um just after her wedding and she went through the sort of Swedish tiara vault and tried all the tiaras on and then she went back to her wedding tiara and has only ever worn it ever since and it's a lovely tiara don't get me wrong but whenever she wears it I'm just like oh like you could have like 
I've seen you when the cut still bandeau was like right there I've seen you wear it put it back <laughs> and this you know this type of dress is so sleek it would suit something like really kind of minimalist or yeah but I mean she she looked brilliant she, her hair looks great but the uh, dress and the tiara were just disappointing which was very sad so then we're moving on to the Duchess of Cambridge at the Top Gun premiere and stunning amazing iconic amazing um loved it loved it she wore like this black and white uh, Roland Moray gown I've actually loved all of her Roland uh, Moray gowns and I've always said like wear them again I love them they're like top top few gowns but this one I think it was so fitted to her it was like off the shoulder the colors were done her hair was all sort of sleek and slicked back um it was I think everyone saw it and just went yes like that I like that she looked really good it was I I she wore her earrings were very expensive but they looked so good I literally didn't care um I was having a great time yeah it was one of these I think it's one of the very few outfits she's worn and everyone went okay I have no criticisms for once I mean, yeah, like I'm, I'm often quite uh, contrary um, and like some of the gowns that are huge hits and are like fan favourites, I really do not like like the, I mean, I don't dislike it as such, but the gold um, gown that she wore to the James Bond premiere that everyone was crying about, I, it's a, it, I like that she had a cape, but it's a basic dress that Jenny Packham stuck some sequins to and that's what she does every single dress. So I wasn't that impressed. But this one, it was, I thought it was beautiful. It's a classic silhouette. So it was kind of, um, the, the dress, it was very simple. The dress itself was a sleek black dress. And then it had like a white panel um, off the shoulders. Um, very elegant, very modern, but also very classic at the same time. Uh, you know, it's something that I've seen on other royals. Queen Maxima actually wore a jumpsuit, which was the same style and was by Roland Murray. Because I think this piece was a few years old. Uh, Roland Marais closed down now um, temporarily I think it's coming back but it's sort of had a you know the pandemic really hit it badly so it's 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 one of those ones that like she she does this quite sometimes where she'll bring out something that's you know been in the vault for four or five years that you've never seen her wear before and you're like ah I see what well, you're you're stockpiling you know what are you doing um but uh, yeah so I think it was it was just perfectly fitted um and you know that's something that I'm not a huge fan of Kate's style in general, but I do think the one thing that she has in her favor is that most of the time her dresses fit perfectly. And this was definitely an example of that. And I think the whole look, the sleek hair, I know some people don't really like it, but I really love it. I think it's uh, worked really well for the sleekness of the gown. The earrings, uh you could have got much like the exact same earrings i'm sure from claire's accessories or something or you know, <laughs> m s would do those i'm sure um yeah they didn't have to cost that much money they did not it was like 10 grand or something ridiculous it would they, and they didn't they were not worth that amount of money but they did look nice with the whole gown um and i think there were some people who had suggested that you know william we don't talk about men's fashion very much but william wore these shoes that had planes on them simultaneously very cool but also like a four-year-old would have planes on his shoes <laughs> and they were like slippers yeah they were slippers they were like fancy men's shoes. i know why do men get to wear slippers and we have to wear high heels this is you know patriarchy um anyway so he wore these slippers with his with planes on them and the plane and the star that was on kate's earring together make up the logo for top gun 
And so there was some conversation about like, oh, she wore the star to compliment. That didn't mean she needed to spend 10 grand on it. Like people often say these things as a defense of the expenses. And I'm like, okay, if she wanted to wear a star earring, she probably either has some already or could get some much more cheaply. But, you know, it was all in all, it was a very, very beautiful dress. And so as long as she wears those dress, that, that earring set constantly for the next six months ten thousand times yeah (laughs) then that'll be fine it also kind of suited everyone else like if you think back to the the gold gown for the no time to die premiere she stood out and she was the star of the show and she didn't stand out this time but she just it worked it fitted in with the with what it was and i mean i did william's shoes i just i kind of want to know did he is he a massive Top Gun fan? Was he like, can someone please, please find me some shoes with the planes on, please? I really want to wear them. Or do, were they a gift? When is he ever going to wear them again? <laughs> so specific. Does he wear them around the house? I need to know these things. Yeah, because like you don't, if we're talking about rewearing and getting use out of things, like you don't wear those slippers at like an average engagement or William doesn't. It's not, they tend to be uh, black tie or white tie shoes. And how many other black tie events is William going to be invited to in his life that are themed around planes? Like, <laughs> so, uh, I mean, yeah, for once, you're not going to get any complaints from us, Kate Middleton. Well done. Yeah. 10 out of 10. Yeah. Um, and then we move on to one of the fashion favorites, I think, judging from my Instagram account anyway, Queen Letizia. And we're going to talk about two things that she wore over the last couple of weeks. So we had a visit from the Emir of Qatar uh, to to Spain and there was a banquet, no tiaras, you know, because they hate us. I said, excuse me, it's a state visit. You're both heads of state. Where is my tiara? Um, I'm I'm guessing you're you're a big fan of this dress then. I loved it. I think it was one of those things where the first time I saw it, I thought she'd already worn it like it was an old dress and like it, it was a picture from 2016 or something. But I, and I think it's because I liked it so much. I just was like, oh, this is one of my favorite Letizia dresses. I'm so glad I've seen another picture of it. And then I realized she hadn't obviously already worn it. It was a new one and it was a new engagement. And it's it's one of those ones where she looked so, it's a really big dress. Like it's quite sleek, but it's very long and golden, but it just suited her so well. I was like, okay, 10 out of 10, top like five Letizia outfits. <laughs> Wow. I really could have done with a massive tiara. I'm just saying. (laughs) It's like the fleur de lis is right there. Yeah. She does have this ability to, for somebody who's so petite, she does have this ability to wear big stuff and not seem drowned out. I don't know how she does that because she wears big tiaras, big dresses, and she always, she never looks like she's swamped by her clothing or her accessories. I don't really know how she does that. Um, There's just some magical quality about Letizia. I think. I definitely get what you mean about it being something that you feel like she's worn before. It felt to me very classically Letizia and particularly like the early part of their marriage when she was crown princess. She really likes that kind of detailed, intricate embroidery work. It's a weird one because if I look at the gown, I think I wouldn't like it on anyone else. I think I'd be like, oh, the sleeves don't quite fit other people or it's got quite a boring sort of shape to it and I don't actually think I would like the dress if it, if you know Kate had worn it or Sophia or anyone but for some reason Letizia makes anything look amazing and I think it works so well with her kind of her skin tone and 
her hair looked great it mean i'm gonna moan about the chair again it really deserved one but <laughs> it really it was one of these ones where you were like okay that's what queens need to look like all the time this is the kind of thing you should be pulling out of the vault come on guys up the level i definitely don't like it as much as you but i think that's hard because i think you love it possibly more, more than Letizia does she might never again i might bring it back tomorrow I liked it a lot. I think it looked beautiful on her. And I totally agree with you about the fact that she pretty much can wear anything. I also thought it worked really well with the occasion because it was kind of almost like a caftan sort of look. And she was being visited by Qatar. So I liked that. The, I just didn't love the sleeves. That was really it. It was giving me a bit of a 70s vibe with a long bell sleeve kind of thing, um, which is not my favourite era. But I do agree that like it looked much, much better on Letizia than it would look on pretty much anybody else. Like, she's the only person who I could even see wearing that dress without me hating it. Um, she just has something about her that makes clothes look good. But yes, I think that does need lead us into the other dress from Letizia we were going to speak about, which is caused, it's caused a bit of a stir. Um, and some people on Tumblr and Instagram will have seen me talk about this before, but um, she wore a dress, a pink dress, a very sort of bright uh, bold pink dress and it had these cutouts at the abdomen and like a sort of ring in the middle uh, kind of like a, a dress you might throw one over a bikini or something um, where where there was also sort of a hole where you could see through into her abdomen and of course everybody was raging about the fact that Letizia has an abdomen. <laughs> I was shocked that she had one. Let, I mean, talking about the dress just on a on a appearance level, ugly as anything. Ugly, ugly, yeah, ugly. So bad. Not a good dress. But I can separate that from whether or not the dress is professional or shouldn't be worn for some kind of moral reason. And look, I I opened up the floor and I gave people the opportunity to explain to me why it was unprofessional. And nobody could. The only answer I, ever, I got from anybody that even came close to being a valid answer about why it was unprofessional was that it was distracting. Um, but so's Felipe's face. He's a very attractive man. And we don't, ask, we don't expect him to wear a, you know, a paper bag over his head just because I get distracted by his face. And Kate Middleton wears the same blue coat dress 16,000 times and is still the main thing that is written about in all of the newspapers. So I don't, you know, no matter what she tries. So it, so Letizia wearing something that has showed her abdomen and had a cutout was, you know, even if she'd worn a boring blue dress, uh, a boring pink dress, she probably still, that still would have been the headline for the vast majority of the articles about her. So it wasn't really that that dress was more distracting than anything else. So that is just my whole rant, there we go, <laughs> about this dress. Is it ugly? Absolutely. Is it unprofessional? No. Yeah, if I think of royal dresses and women's dresses that I've seen, you know, over the past 10-ish years, there are only a very, and it's probably less than five, that I think maybe crossed that line into being unprofessional. And they would normally, dresses that I just think, like you said, didn't fit the occasion. Like, there's an example I'm thinking of where it was a lovely outfit, but the event was mostly seated and it was really short and all I could think was like that's going to be so uncomfortable after a few hours like I'd be like covering everything up but like that didn't cause half the drama this did and I mean you couldn't even see anything the slits were so small um I think you know it had a very high covered neckline it was full sleeves it was pretty much 
you know, ankle length. It was, a, I mean, a really boring dress for Letizia, quite frankly. People get confused between this idea of dress code and this idea of protocol. And we've heard it, you know, anybody who's been in the royal fandom or talked about royals for a long time, especially on Tumblr, will have heard about protocol, which is this idea that people have entirely made up um, that royals can only wear certain things. People get confused between these two things. There is no list anywhere that says that Letizia cannot wear a dress with cutouts on it. And even if there was a list of what royal women were allowed to, to wear, as the main royal woman, Letizia would be the one deciding it. So everything she wears <laughs> is therefore automatically okay in terms of protocol um, because she gets to decide it. So that's, I mean, that's one thing. The, only, the thing that it can be is about the dress code or about like the meaning of the event. So if Kate has gone to an event or Sophie or whoever has gone to an event that's about British fashion, wear a British designer. I think it would be inappropriate not to because it would be going against the message of that particular event. But this it was not a We Hate Abdomens event. Like this was the Red Cross event. There is no We Hate Abdomens <laughs> club. Um, so I don't, I don't see why that was remotely necessary you know why that is even a conversation point to be honest it just makes no sense to me um but I did get some really lovely responses as well that I did agree with and I'm gonna highlight my favorite one who's also a fan of the podcast I think um books yarn cats um who their comment was I like the concept of the dress because people always show their true colors when a woman shows a tiny bit of skin and I thought yeah <laughs> that's hit the nail on the head there like do I like the dress no would I wear it no uh, but do I think the reaction to it from some people has been very like, you know, 1822 rather than 2022? Absolutely. And I think people just need to calm down because it is a tiny sliver of skin. If Letizia likes her abs, and she should, because the tiny sliver we did see, like she is killing it. Um, why not? Why not? Why not? So thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the On Air podcast. Uh, you can listen back to all of our previous episodes on all good podcast providers. If, you, if they don't have our podcast, they're not a good podcast provider. Uh, but other than that, thank you for joining. And it is goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. Goodbye from me.